I would like for you to turn to the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. It was six years ago that I preached through the book of Ephesians here at Central. And although I've preached from it occasionally since, it's um, an urgent book for us to understand, especially in the hour in which we're living. We are in the midst of a revolution of Satan's program that is startling and alarming. And the only ones who can do much about it are people like you and me, believers. We will never see the social workers, the educators. We'll never see the philosophers and the politicians and the judges in the courts doing much about what's happening in our culture. It's in your hands. And so Paul closes his epistle with that reminder. I like to call the book of Ephesians the believer's handbook on spiritual warfare. And that's really what it is. But he closes it by reminding us that um, we have a responsibility. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I watched the little worm as it struggled in the rain. He sought a sidewalk refuge, but his effort was in vain. A sharp-eyed robin spied his squirming, living pulp and swallowed him up quickly with his hungry robin gulp. The robin was a-nesting in the branches of a tree while the storm was unleashing its rain and windy fury. A mighty gust of storm tossed the robin's nest away. Its hope of hatching little robins must wait another day. Behold, there is a struggle surging all about. Robins, worms, and winds speak it with a shout. Humans, too, are in this battle of travail and groan and pain. We surely must observe it lest we run this race in vain. God's loving grace and mercy unleashed in saving power brings the victory that is needed each month and day and hour. Be strong, his call to each believer in this battle grim. God himself is in this struggle. With him we can't but win. We are in the midst of a tremendous struggle. And a simple yet a fascinating way to look at our existence and sojourn in this life 
is to view it as a constant continuum of battle, of struggle, of stress. In virtually all realms of the universe, you see it in process and progress. In the realm of nature, as we just saw it in the little poem, the survival of the fittest is being carried out in dramatic, intense, and often very painful drama. Medical science is locked into the battle against disease and pain, illness, germs, bacteria, and even death itself. But almost every place that you look, it's the same in politics, in social process and progress, in education, in economic advance, in the investigations of science, in the psychological realm, and in the religious realm, the spiritual realm. This battle, this struggle, is there. More and more, we're reading in contemporary Christian literature about the power encounter. We read about power encounter evangelism, power encounter missionary advance and people movements toward the Lord, power encounter healing, and on and on it goes. These opposing forces are locked in a tremendous struggle. And I hope that you're aware that it's heating up. And if you are not aware of that, please open your eyes. The battle is intensifying. And the Bible defines this battle as being ultimately between light and darkness, between the mighty and the almighty, a battle between Satan and his kingdom with God, against God. And Paul speaks about it in this passage and in so many others where he says, the whole creation is groaning and travailing in pain till, together until now. It's there. And I'm so grateful that God is beginning to open the eyes of his people to look at the battle. I'm only sorry that those who seem to be most alert to it and its danger seem to be the secular writers. I was handed this week by Lauren Mason, his mother sent it on to him, an article out of Red Book magazine in the April issue. It's quite an article. It's entitled, Die, Mother. Let me just read the opening of the article. A 14-year-old New Jersey boy mutilated and savagely bludgeoned his mother to death. Then he cut his own throat. 
In Oklahoma City, a 16-year-old boy shot his sleeping mother and stepfather point-blank in the head. Three Missouri teenagers won the class president, murdered a classmate by beating him with baseball bats. These heinous crimes were committed in the name of the devil. From coast to coast, increasing numbers of kids are getting hooked on Satanism. Though only a small number go so far as to drink their own blood, worship before altars hung with broken crosses, sacrifice animals, and commit even more horrible atrocities, how can we be sure that your child won't get sucked into it? And it's the story of how one very average teenager got drawn in to this terrible worship of Satan. It's on the loose. And it's growing. I received a telephone call this week from Roger Elwood, an author, who's written a book called Angel Walk and is coming out with a series of four other books on um, exposing this in fiction form. And of course, to gain his information about what he's writing, he is keeping in touch with what's going on. And he told me how that, uh, that he has been in touch with the head detective on the Los Angeles uh, police force who is in charge of investigating this kind of thing. And the things which he shared with me are so gruesome I would not even mention them in this kind of setting. And this is accelerating across the nation. It's more pervasive than most of us have any awareness. And it isn't just the kids getting involved. Doctors and lawyers and educators. And some of you know how close it has come even in our own community as we constantly are hearing reports about this kind of thing. Well, there was an hour where most Christians didn't want to face this kind of thing. We wanted to think that it somehow belonged to somebody else or another group, but we ought not to be emphasizing that. Let's just preach the gospel and get on with the business at hand. But I submit to you that that day is past for believers. And every single one of us is responsible to become involved in the battle of the hour. For there is no hope for this hour apart from your involvement. And even God himself is waiting for you and me to take this thing to heart and to rise up in the strength of the Lord. And that's really what this text is all about. 
And so I want to address it this morning just in introduction. It's going to require a series of messages for us to be able to share with you what, in my understanding, we need to know. And it's not something that you just come to understand as a part of your theological perspective. It's something that you must come to use as your weapon against what's happening. And we become alert and awake to the desperateness of the hour. I want to approach it with a series of four questions as an introduction to this passage, and then we will go on into some other studies. But the four questions are, who needs this power? The might that makes right. That's really what he's talking about. A power that makes a difference. A power that can confront what we're seeing today and do something about it and change it. Oh, I know that we're living in the last days. And I know that we're leading up to the time of the Antichrist and Satan's rule through the Antichrist for a short period of time as the scripture prophesies. But dear friends, we are still here. And we dare not hide behind some prophetic perspective when the word of God says to you and me that we are responsible to be strong. And to know that we are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and every high thing. What an, what an inclusive statement. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's the position of the might that makes right. And if you're a Christian, it belongs to you and every one of us will answer at the judgment seat of Christ as to what we did with it. Let's look at the questions. Who needs this power? What kind do I need? When do I need it? And why do I need it? And we'll just get through perhaps the first two this morning. First of all, who needs this power? Notice how he begins, verse 10. Finally, now if you have a King James, it says, Finally, my brethren, and I'm glad that the text from which the King James was translated had my brethren in there, even though this particular text from which this was translated doesn't have it. It's understood. You go back to the first chapter and the very first verse, and you discover that Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, is writing to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And all through the book, you find that Paul is writing to the whole body of Christ. 
to the church. Who needs this power? You need it. Every one of us needs it. You see, we're responsible with what we do with this power. And most of us sooner or later must recognize as Christians that we are in a battleground, not a playground. And that we are responsible to lay hold of what we have, to be strong. It's an imperative, both by its, by its theological implication as well as the Greek imperative. It literally means that every one of us is accountable and responsible to be invincibly strong to do the will of God. We're not omnipotent, but we are united with an omnipotent God so that every one of us is responsible to walk in the will of God, to fulfill the will of God for our own personal life and also for our corporate life as a local church. We're accountable, we're responsible to see ourselves as being invincibly strong and able to do the will of God. If you're a believer today, you need this power, the might that makes right, the might that makes a difference. And as Christians, we do not fight for victory, but from victory, from our position of victory, we begin to move out to make a difference. And I lay this burden upon you. The only people who can do something about what's happening in our culture is the body of Christ, the Christians. We're the only ones that have the weapons. Don't look to the courts to do it. Don't look to the law enforcement officers. The battle is going to be won by a people who understand who they are and who begin to wield the weapons of their warfare. Now, the second question, what kind do I need? Well, once again, that's shared with us there in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What kind do I need? It's that which is in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, you have to start from some place, and the place you must start from is understanding theologically, doctrinally, biblically, who you are. You get that? You see, it's impossible to be strong until you understand how this strength comes to you. And there are two tremendously important phrases here. One is the little phrase, in the Lord. And the second is in his 
mighty power. The might which makes right is that which belongs to you because you're in the Lord. Now that little phrase is one of the most important ones in the New Testament. It's one that every one of us needs to meditate on every day. It's one that every one of us needs to pray back to the Lord every day. In the Lord, what does it mean? Well, that's the position and the condition of every Christian. The moment you're saved, the moment you're born from above, the moment you receive Christ into your life, you are brought into oneness with Jesus Christ. You're united to him and he is united to you. You have an inseparable oneness. And the awareness of that is the kind of power you need and the kind of power you are to use. It's the kind of power that uh, you pray over your family, over your marriage, over your home, over your community, over your church, over your country, against the forces of evil. This is the kind of power that causes the enemy to back away. And it's the only kind of power that defeats him. And one of the reasons why we are seeing such advance of darkness in our day, I'm absolutely convinced of it. One of the reasons we're seeing the inrush of the power of darkness upon our culture is because more of God's people need to understand and use this great truth that they're united with Christ and they begin to plead that victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over their families on a moment-by-moment -moment basis over their church, over their community and against the forces of evil. You see, to be united with Jesus Christ means that you are united with the victory of his name. Lord, Jehovah, Jesus, the one and only Savior. Christ, the anointed prophet who proclaimed the way and is the way. The anointed priest who mediates a better sacrifice and who is the sacrifice. And the anointed king who rules and will rule in total sovereignty one day. Oh, the power of that name. It's a name above every name and every knee will bow to it. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Satan himself and his whole kingdom is defeated by the mighty name Lord Jesus Christ. And we are responsible to use that name in our intercession and our prayer, holding it over every member of your family, 
over your community and church. But it also means you're united with the Lord Jesus Christ in his work. His name represents his person. But his work is so important. Oh, do you understand that you are united with the Lord Jesus in his incarnation, his humanity? It was as one of us that Jesus Christ totally vanquished the powers of darkness. It was as one of us that he fulfilled all righteousness. It was as one of us that he defeated the world and the flesh and the devil. And it's because he was God in human flesh, always worthy before his heavenly Father, that you are worthy to believe God for blessings upon you while you're still living in your human body, failing and and subject to sin as each of us might be. But it's because of the righteousness of Christ that we are worthy. You are united with Him in His cross, in the shedding of His blood. Oh, the power of His cross by which He destroyed Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that He might deliver us who all of our lifetime were subject to bondage through the fear of death. There isn't any power as protecting to you and your family as the power of the cross. And every father and mother is a wise parent who daily holds over his family by name the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus and fights against the attempts of darkness to rule over your children in the power of Calvary. Who knows how to lay hold upon the tremendous power that lifted the Lord Jesus from the dead. No power in all the universe is like that. The power of the resurrection. And Paul, at the close of his life, was still seeking to use and understand the mighty power that raised up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And he is a wise Christian who understands because he's in Christ, he's united with that power. And he can do something about the sin of the day in which we live as he begins to bring to focus against it the mighty triumph of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension into heaven. You see, Jesus Christ ascended up right through the realm of the prince of the power of the air. You know where Satan lives? He lives in the atmosphere about this earth. He's the prince of the power of the air. That's his main domain. And can you imagine the solemnity and the awesomeness that happened on that day of the ascension when Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, he ascended up right through the realm of the prince of the power of the air, far above all principalities and powers. And then in the second chapter of Ephesians, he tells us that he seated us there with himself. You see, you have authority to do something about darkness 
because as a Christian, you are seated with Christ in your spiritual calling far above all principalities and powers. And when you use this mighty strength, this effective strength, you remain more than a conqueror. You are united with the Lord Jesus in his high priestly work where he's building his church. And he specifically said, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You're responsible to see and to claim that victory. We are so united with Christ that he won't even come again without us. You've heard me say that before. I'll never forget. You see, I, I daily pray through what I'm just sharing with you in my own spiritual life and my watching over my own family and, and the, the ministry here and the work of God. And I'll never forget, it was years after I had been doing this on a regular basis, one day I was praying and all of a sudden it came to me. I am so intimately united with Christ that he won't even come again without me. You think about that. When he comes, he'll bring you with him. I'm going to leave us at that point. I wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit too. But already I've taken my length of time. And I'll pick it up there next week. How wonderful it is to have the Holy Spirit as our comforter and friend and as the one who makes us strong. And we will pick it up and share there next week. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, you have allowed us to live in a most critical day. And uh, we're so thankful for that that we're privileged to be alive today. But we also thank you that you have committed to us an awesome responsibility to be strong in this day when darkness is seeking to overwhelm the body of Christ with its boldness and its challenge. But we're thankful that the truth of Scripture cannot be broken. Help us, we pray, to understand what it is to be strong and to use our strength through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.